0: If there's one thing I've learned from doing several Sweet Valley High episodes throughout the last few years of podcasting, it's that truly anything can happen when the Wakefield twins are involved. This proves true all over again on today's episode, during which my guests and I discuss book 126 in the series, Tall, Dark, and Deadly. It's the first installment in Sweet Valley's famed vampire trilogy, in which, you guessed it, a vampire named Jonathan descends into Wakefield territory and turns everything upside down. If you've never read Tall, Dark, and Deadly, that's kind of all you need to know. But of course, my guests and I find plenty to talk about on episode 202. Get ready for conversations about the timeless Jessica vs. Elizabeth question, parallels with the Twilight series, Camp Friends and Camp Affairs, some weird age dynamics between teen girl characters and their older suitors, the lack of representation present in Sweet Valley, stalkerish behavior, conspicuous consumption, and what happens when every student at a high school develops an obsession with a single newcomer, in this case, a vampire. We also consider the possibility that Tall, Dark, and Deadly might just be the wackiest, wildest Sweet Valley book we've covered on the podcast yet. And if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that's saying something. Let's meet today's guest. USA Today best-selling author Andy J. Christopher writes sharp, witty, sexy contemporary romance about complex people finding happily ever after. Her work has been featured in NPR, Cosmopolitan, The Washington Post, Entertainment Weekly, and The New York Post. Prickly heroines are her hallmark, and she is the originator of the Stern Brunch Daddy. Andy lives in the nation's capital with a French bulldog, a stockpile of Campari, and way too many books. She is at author Andy J on all social media platforms. Her new book, Thank You Next, is available wherever books are sold. If you want to get your hands on a copy of Thank You Next, and after you listen to this episode, I'm sure you will, you should know that I'm giving away one copy this week on Instagram. I run giveaways like this on an almost weekly basis. And there are lots of other fun things happening on social media too. Follow along with all things SSR at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. I hope you love what you hear today. And if you do, it would be so cool of you, like Wakefield Twins Cool, to leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Podcasters ask you to do this all the time because it really does help our shows grow. Social media shares also bring more eyes and ears to the podcast, so please take a moment to grab a screenshot of this episode, post it to your Instagram story, and tag ssrpod so I can see. Your support means a lot to me. Another great way to show your support for the podcast is Patreon. Patreon is a platform that connects creators like me with fans of what they create. For just a few dollars every month, you get to take an active role in keeping your favorite independently produced content going strong and there are exclusive rewards in it for you. SSR patrons are eligible for all kinds of perks, including an invitation to the SSR Discord group, SSR merch, book selection input, bonus episodes, monthly newsletters, video reading recaps, and more. At the $5 and $10 levels, you also get membership in our SWR, that's Shit We Read, book club, which is tons of fun. In July, we are reading the Agathas, and next month we will discuss Olga Dies Dreaming. Learn more and become a patron at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Shout out to all of the patrons tuning in now. Last week was Amazon Prime Day, and while we all rely on Amazon for certain things, I think we can agree that it is not the best place to buy books. Independent bookstores are where it's at. You can even support indies when you buy audiobooks, thanks to Libro.fm. The audiobooks you get from Libro.fm will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O F-M, and use code SSR podcast when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Brace yourselves for some truly bananas Sweet Valley drama, everyone. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hofkossack, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Andy. Welcome to SSR. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. So, before we get any further into this, I do want to offer a quick disclaimer to listeners, which is that I have been sick all week. So, if my voice sounds funny, if I sound, I don't know, if what you know what I'm talking about, if my voice sounds weird, I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to try to edit out any like weird coughing or like nose sounds, but just letting everybody know ahead of time. But I could not miss the opportunity to talk about possibly the weirdest book that I have read yet in 200 plus episodes of this podcast.
1: I feel like that's like a huge honor to be here with you to talk about that. I I read this book the other night, like in, in one bite. Yeah. Um, not to be too punny. <laughs> but I was like, I don't remember like YA books being this wild.
0: Well, they're not. Just this one is. <laughs> okay. They, okay. They're okay. not. So just, just so you know, because I've done some legwork on this over the last couple of years. This is not standard, but I do before we get into um, this particular installment of the Sweet Valley High series, which is called Tall, Dark and Deadly. I want to hear about what if any experience you have with the Wakefields. Did you read these books when you were growing up? Why did you want to go back to them for this episode? And why this book specifically?
1: So I did read some Sweet Valley High. I was like a weird kid and I was reading like Mary Higgins Clark Mysteries by the time I was like nine or 10. Got it. So I think I read like my, I went through a sweet belly high phase, like right after my babysitter's club phase, I think, you know, eight or nine and read a bunch of them. I don't know that I read this one because then I found like a bag of Harlequin romance novels in my grandma's closet. and. I just literally never looked back. It was like yeah, it was all, all over. over. Yeah, it was all over. Yeah. So I did read the, I did read some of these books. I don't know if I read this one. I probably should have remembered it if I had. But I was like a tween around the time that like the Sweet Valley High television show was on TV. So I definitely saw every single episode of the Sweet Valley High twins on TV.
0: Okay. And just like we cannot talk about sex in the city without doing the whole, like, are you a Carrie? Are you a Miranda? Are you a Charlotte conversation? I always start Sweet Valley episodes, Andy, by asking my guest, did you resonate more or did you relate more to Jessica or Elizabeth when you were a teenager? And coming back to the book as an adult, does the sort of side that you took when you were a kid surprise you or are you still on that same page?
1: I think on the inside, I was a Jessica because I was extremely boy crazy okay but on the outside I was an Elizabeth because all I did was like study I did not have like a steady boyfriend and a camp crush because like literally I was just boy crazy I was chasing boys around I would definitely do a lot I would have pulled so much of the same stuff that that Jessica pulled <laughs> if a boy in my high school had had a motorcycle I would have jumped on the back of it 100%. you would have been on it on yeah it, okay for sure um and he would have been like get he would have reacted the same way yeah, <laughs> I mean, to be real honest. But going back to it, I was like, Elizabeth makes a lot of sense. But I wish like I, I feel like as an adult, I could I could stand to like embody a little bit more of Jessica's audacity.
0: It's so interesting, because pretty much everybody who comes on the show to talk to me about Sweet Valley High says some version of that when I ask them this question. Like, I think that like, it makes sense that a lot of people who come on the show leaned Elizabeth as teenagers, because she's bookish. And like, of course, it's very, yeah, yeah, she's a writer. And it's very like, it's lacking a lot of nuance, of course. But if we're going to break a lot of like the SSR community down into its like bare bones, it makes sense that we have a lot of Elizabeth's. But almost everybody says like, oh, but like, I wish that I could have been a Jessica or I didn't appreciate Jessica enough when I was a kid. And that's how I feel like we'll get into the fact that Elizabeth is not as great as I thought she was when I was a kid. And that's something that I've realized again and again with this series is that like, I found Elizabeth to be so aspirational when I was growing up because like she was smart and seemed to have her act together. But like, she is no more together by my adult standards than her sister is in these books absolutely not like she has her own set of stuff going on but as an adult i'm like oh like i probably could have stood to have a little bit of jessica's confidence a little bit of her like curiosity about the world like she's so open-minded she's so adventurous And she doesn't always, like, act those things out in a way that I think is, like, healthy or productive. But as an adult, I'm like, I probably could have used a little bit of Jessica in my life as a kid, and maybe even now.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's, like, so much more of a teen than Elizabeth is. Yeah. Like, even in the context of this book, Elizabeth's like, I guess I will settle for my boring boyfriend, who I don't like that much. You shouldn't be thinking that until you're at least, I don't know, 35. And even if you're thinking that, you should have a friend who's
0: like, no. Yeah. Like, you don't want to look at him for 40 years. Right. Like, bad call. Like, don't do this. Okay. So let's talk specifics about Tall, Dark, and Deadly. Yes. Published in 1996, book number 126 of the series. As of 2019, uh, Sweet Valley High had sold more than 150 million copies. So, like, a lot of people are reading these books. This book is the first in sort of like a mini series, a trilogy of three that's known as the vampire trilogy, I believe, because spoiler alert, everybody, there's a vampire in this little series. And I found just some like hilarious blog posts, blogger reviews, reflections on this book while I was doing a little research for our conversation today. People who know the Sweet Valley High series and went back to reread it for their blog series or whatever, they were like buckle up we know this is going to be funny like this series is known as one of the most absurd avenues that Francine Pascal and her ghostwriters chose to go down in their life of creating Sweet Valley High. I didn't know that this was a thing. I had never heard of it. I think when I was a kid, I like sort of dabbled like you, like I picked up whichever of the Sweet Valley books were available at the library. I didn't spend that much time with them. And most of what I remember from the books is like, Elizabeth writes an article for the newspaper and like Jessica gets a new boyfriend, very like sort of real world stuff. And Francine Pascal has been pretty vocal about the process of creating this series and presiding over the ghostwriters that worked on it. And I did want to read one quote that I found in an interview with her that she did with Entertainment Weekly in 2019. And she says, I had total freedom to do anything I wanted. If I wanted to make them fly, that was okay. If I had to do 10 more, I could do 10 more. But my God, I did every single thing. And I think like we have proof of that Mm -hmm. right here in Tall, Dark and Deadly. What do you think, Andy?
1: A hundred percent. Like I... Didn't know what I expected going into reading it, but I was like, did Stephanie Meyer read this book? Yeah. Like, you would think. Because there's so much about it like a vampire who can walk around in daylight. Right. Who tells like the, the heroine to like get away from him, stay away from him because she's too tempting. And like, I was just like, and like, you know, following him out to a house in the woods. I was like, "This is the proto vampire romance," and I wonder how many like young readers would point to this book and be like, "This
0: is this is my dark haired love interest. This is the this is the one." Yeah, I mean, it does read very Edward Cullen. Like, my margins are full of two things. Uh, the first is just LOLs everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. there's LOLs all over my book, and then um, several like all caps Edward Cullen. Just all over the book. Like, I, and I'm not, I don't know a lot about vampires. We have done, we did an episode on Twilight way, way back. I think I want to do another episode on Twilight one of these days. And then we did the Vampire Diaries, I think in 2021. But I was not a kid that was like into vampire lore. I don't know that much about vampires. I sort of read what was cool. So I read Twilight when I was a teenager. But I went into this book, like having not read much about it. So I was like, Oh, I wonder what kind of like magical creature this guy is going to be. Or I thought for a second, maybe he was like, tall, dark, and deadly as like a serial killer. So I I really was kind of like absorbing the information as the twins got it or didn't get it for Jessica. But yeah, in this book, we do have Jessica falling in love with a vampire named Jonathan Kane, who's also the new kid in school. And as always, like the first sentence of a Sweet Valley High book, hilarious, and sets the stage in such a perfect way. This book opens with, I can't believe there's not one interesting guy in here tonight because Jessica Wakefield, I don't know if you know this Andy about her, but she's just like over it. She's like over she's just, just like it, yeah, she's done with it. She's done with these boring high school guys. Nobody has anything to offer her.
1: Yeah, I mean, in in the in the real world, she would find like a inappropriately older college boyfriend, right. which I'm
0: sure she does at some point in the books. I mean, like she would have had to. Yeah, well, incidentally, I recently watched the first episode of the TV series for a bonus episode, and that was its own hilarious ride. I can link to that episode because it's on YouTube in the show notes, but um, the show opens at a school dance, and of course, that is just like ripe with opportunities for things to Mm -hmm. get wacky as always in sweet valley nobody looks like they're going to the same event everybody's wearing like a completely strange outfit i don't know like what the dress code was supposed to be but there's a moment where to your point like this random college guy walks in and nobody knows who he is except that jessica and some of her friends are all like He's a college guy. And I had so many questions because I don't know how your high school operated, but like if you wanted to bring somebody who didn't go to your school, let alone somebody who was older, like I don't think anybody who was above 18 was even allowed at our school dances. And in the world of Sweet Valley, this college guy just literally like waltzes into a high school dance, which is so creepy on so many levels. But you're right. Like you would think that that's what Jessica would do in a sort of like normal world.
1: Yes, but I mean, I like, I feel like it's like the perfect one of the things I really admire about like these really long series with like multiple ghostwriters that are sort of orchestrated by the original author is that they like do a great job at like sort of yeoman's storytelling. Like every sort of story beat is there. And I think one of the reasons I chose this book is because like the current movement of romance writing which is you know my genre has so been dictated by twilight twilight fan fiction and like that archetype of like the dark-haired love interest who's you know gonna come in and shake things up and so like i it was just it was such a it was funny to me because i was like oh that's exactly how i
0: would start that story like everyone every guy here is boring and then move so we need somebody who's not boring to come in because jessica Wakefields cannot be bored what did you think of so there were so many subplots like there's I so know. many other things going on and i don't know about you but like as i was reading probably the first like 50 pages of this book i couldn't figure out which of those details and which of those subplots were like laying the groundwork for something bigger and which were just like random things that were like funny or interesting to the author and one of the subplots or one of the big things that comes up again and again is that Jessica's best friend, Lila, has this new boyfriend named Bo, who she is obsessed with. And he's very classy and very mature. And Jessica is so tired of hearing Lila talk about Bo. And I, I just think the dynamic between the two of them in this installment is so funny it feels very Regina George of like, it's like Regina George to Gretchen Wieners. Like, stop talking about Bo. Like, it's not going to happen. Stop trying to make him happen. I just thought it was funny. And and Lila is usually very much on Jessica's good side. So it was kind of fun to see her, to see that flip.
1: I mean, I was 100% with Jessica. Bo sounds awful. The but, worst. Yeah. Bo grows up. He wears a fedora to bars mm. in his 20s. He's he is like ultimate hipster. He moves to like a like a warehouse and squats in it in Brooklyn somewhere like that no one else lives. And like I I can see Bo in my head right now. He only listens to instrumental
0: jazz. Yeah, and Bo like doesn't have to squat in the warehouse in Bushwick because he know that he's we know that he's rich. Yes, but he is like this is what I do. This is who I am. This mm-hmm. is this is my identity. My fedora and I live in this warehouse and we don't owe anybody anything. Yeah, I th- I'm on board with that. I think that's probably what's going to happen with Bo. And the other thing that's important to note because I think that Lila and Bo met at camp. It feels like everybody met at camp. So yes. the Sweet Valley crew. It's unclear like how long it's been since they were at camp. One of the bloggers whose review I read was joking about how, like, it appears that this book takes place over a roughly two and a half week period, but like that's very loose. Like, we really don't know. We know that they were at summer camp in the somewhat recent past because so much of the story is tied to people that they met while they were at camp. Lila met Bo. Elizabeth met Joey, who is Making her reconsider her long standing relationship with Todd and then Jessica, also, she had a camp crush too, right? That they she broke up with.
1: Yeah, I've lost track. Well, no, I mean, I don't know if Jessica had a camp crush, but they did refer to her like dead ex boyfriend, and I was like, I don't remember her ex boyfriend
0: time. <laughs> That's like, and then she cheated on someone else. I was like, Jessica. Yes. And the thing with the dead boyfriend was very offhand. Like I think it was somewhere around page like 120. And it was very casual in that she was like, yeah, like good thing I had that other guy to help me get over my dead boyfriend. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like which book did that take place in? I'm sure we could find it if we wanted to reread the whole series, which by the time this podcast is over, I probably will. But um, yeah, so there's just a lot going on in their romantic lives. Also, Maria has come back mm-hmm. to school. She from Sweet Valley has become something of a child star. And I guess then was at the same day camp with all of her old friends from Sweet Valley. And now she's back at school. Don't quite understand how that happens. And she and Elizabeth are besties, which means that Enid, Enid Rowlands, is on the outs. She's out. Like she's not cool anymore. I don't understand why she didn't get to go to camp. It feels like everybody else got to go to camp. So I have some questions about where she was.
1: Yeah, and I don't think anyone in Sweet Valley has ever heard the words, I can't afford it from their family.
0: Oh, I don't think anybody in Sweet Valley has ever heard the word no yeah. from either of their parents. Or like, they, I don't think they know what money is. Like, <laughs> Money is a construct.
1: It's a construct. They're like, it's just, it just shows up on my mom's credit card when I need it. it. It was wild to read this book and be like, oh, okay. This is like, this is peak like 80s and 90s conspicuous consumption, sort of like, it just struck me so much on reading it this time that I'm like, oh, no one's worried about whether they can afford anything. Like they're driving
0: BMWs and Mercedes to school. The only time that money is really mentioned specifically or explicitly is when Jessica threatens to blackmail Lila because she knows that Lila like charged all this stuff to her parents' credit card while they were at camp, which was like, Jessica really has some wild tendencies she can be so mean and even for her that was low i was like you're gonna blackmail your your literal best friend
1: also like one of the things she charged was like a private plane yeah (laughs) like if i had tried to charge a private like even if my parents had been wealthy if i tried to charge a private plane
0: there would have been serious questions do you think the whole inside is cashmere like kim kardashians probably like yeah, I mean, considering Lila and like
1: her, her like trying to, I you can see her like just like trying to like level up her own taste so much to like meet with this boyfriend Bo who lives literally across the country. It was wild to me. I was like, that's that's crazy. They were ordering also like what teenagers like caviar.
0: I certainly didn't. I would have been like, oh gross, which shows you that I had no idea what I was talking about. But it's more true to life than what's going on here. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think I had caviar because my mom worked at like a fine dining restaurant when I was a kid and it was like fine, but I was like, I don't understand why people are spending this much money on it. It's
0: ridiculous. Not worth it. Right. Yeah. I'd rather have some CDs or something. Exactly. Or like, I don't know, like I was, I was like
1: a snobby teen about food. I was like, I'd rather have like a giant steak than like a teeny little bit of
0: caviar. (laughs) I think a lot of people of all ages would agree with you on that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Elizabeth, because I think we're going to wrap things up with Jessica, because that's really like the whole thing. So Elizabeth is really confused about her love life. When we come back to her in this book, of course, we get the usual introduction about how hot they are, basically, how they're both perfect and beautiful. And even though Elizabeth is kind of a geek, she's like a hot geek. So she's not really a geek. She has received a mysterious letter or at least it's mysterious to us at first. She refers to this like letter that she's received when she's talking to her friends. And we find out that the letter is from Joey who as we mentioned before was her camp boyfriend. I have to say it's it's never like mentioned clearly that Elizabeth cheated on Todd with Joey. Like she and Todd were not on a break. Todd was not at summer camp. And even though Elizabeth is, like, the, quote, good girl in the Wakefields family, she isn't admitting what she did wrong. And this is the kind of shit I'm talking about where, like, when I was a teenager, I was like, Elizabeth is so virtuous. She is the sweet to Jessica Salty. She does everything right. And I was such a goody two-shoes when I was in elementary school. So I felt, like, very aligned with her. And then I see stuff like this going on. She cheated on her boyfriend. She and Todd have been together forever. Yeah, I mean –
1: Todd is, like, wasn't, like, the original, like, conflict in the Sweet Valley
0: High, like, Jessica and Elizabeth, like, competing over Todd? I think so. I know Todd has been with us from the start.
1: Yeah. I, I seem to remember, and I could be wrong. Um, I will probably hear about it if I'm wrong. But, like, that was the original conflict between the twins. And then Jessica was like, whatever, I'll, I'll move on. But, yeah, she cheated on her long-term boyfriend. Right. And I feel like in high school, the virtuous thing is always to, like, call your boyfriend at his basketball camp and say, listen, I think we should see other people for the summer. Just for the summer.
0: We'll be on a break.
1: Be on a break. I mean, that makes sense. Like, no one's moving in together anytime soon. Just, like, Like, just take a break. And, like, I I didn't really understand, like, why, like, and I'm sure I would understand this had I read the camp sort of episode of the series. (laughs) why joey was so much more interesting and exciting than Todd?
0: yeah we know nothing about joey except that he goes to another school which immediately makes somebody more alluring and he snuck into sweet valley high with a canoe paddle and put it in elizabeth's locker stalker behavior i'm sorry stalker behavior burned the letter yeah because maria was they did like a a ritual ritual with it they were they had like a whole
1: ceremony yeah. So I'm actually like, I'm a little nervous about Joey's vibe. Like I, I feel like it and also he was transferring from Yale to
0: UCLA. So he's in college. So he, do we think he was like a counselor at camp? Was he working there? I would, I would think so. Yeah. Maybe Elizabeth was working there too, or were they campers? That was not clear.
1: I think there were junior counselors, I think I saw reference to like them being junior counselors or something like that.
0: Okay, like CITs, yeah. counselors in training. I was obsessed with the idea of being a CIT when I was a kid and I wasn't a camp kid. I never went to
1: sleepaway camp and it's like a huge, a huge regret of mine. I always went to like really nerdy day camps. Like it was literally like all of the nerds in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area went to the same like day camp and got to take like i think i took like figure skating and like painting and like a class on speed reading cuz i was really interested in being <laughs> able to read more books like i was i was deeply deeply nerdy beside the point yeah i never got to go to sleepaway camp and i think i would have been a great counselor cuz i was a very good babysitter so i feel like i feel like i would have been a cool camp counselor and
0: well, and you knew how to speed read and figure skate and paint. If it makes you feel any better, I took an afterschool flower arranging workshop when I was in like third grade.
1: I mean, I want to take that now.
0: I know. I feel like it was lost on me because I can't remember any of what I learned. But yeah, I mean, Elizabeth was at camp in some capacity. She fell in love with this older guy. To your point, I don't really know what the deal was with, between the two of them. But at the same time, Todd is really like not that attractive to me in this book either. There's a moment where he gets like so mad and so frustrated about what's going on with her that he literally crushes a milk carton in his hand.
1: <laughs> That's like ex-boyfriend behavior. Like if I <laughs> like if I have a if I ever have like a, a male character in my books, like crushing a beer can or a milk carton or whatever in his hands, like you know he's getting dumped. <laughs> he yeah, he he really has like this of desperation about him in this book that is is unappealing. And I think that's one of the reasons why just why Elizabeth comes so close to like breaking up with him is because she's like he's he's so sad right now and so like sort of pathetic that I like the Joey or the image of Joey that she has in her head is is much more attractive,
0: yeah. It's not attractive to be so desperate or to crush a milk carton in your hand. Or to try to be like an acolyte of this new kid, Jonathan Kane, Because, of course, as all the other girls in school are falling in love with Jonathan, the boys also seem to be obsessed with him. And Todd is one of the many dudes at school who has changed his appearance. Like, he's dressing like a goth. It it was very much like the vibe of in other teen movies where it's like all the girls want to be here and all the guys want to sleep with her, except it's Jonathan.
1: Yeah, which was like, to me, it was like... At least one of those guys who want to be like him actually want to be with him. Because, like, there's no, there's no queer representation whatsoever no. in Sweet Valley High book, which is, I mean, if you were doing it now, it's just not how it would be done. And actually, I think it would be a much more interesting. It would be a very interesting series to like revisit that way.
0: Yeah, the cast of characters would be really interesting. I think that there would probably be more representation in every way. The series has, of course, been criticized for being so whitewashed. Francine Pascal wrote or said in an interview that I read once that like, even she had never seen as many white people as she wrote in Sweet Valley High. Like this wasn't the world that she grew up in. She actually has made A lot of kind of like derisive comments about this series. She didn't take it seriously. She knew that people would like it. I think her goal was to like appeal to masses more than it was Mm -hmm. to like scratch any sort of artistic itch that she had so i think like she was aware she's still aware she's as far as i know she's still alive i think she's in her mid-80s she knows that like it was really whitewashed and i think if she had to do it again based on what i've read of her reflections on the series that she would probably mix things up a little bit okay so yeah elizabeth is really the whole book she's just like going back and forth about whether she should be with joey or with todd with joey or with todd it's annoying. She does, of course, in the end, come in and like save Jessica's ass to some degree, or like she tries to, which is what always seems to happen in these books. But let's turn our attention to Jessica because her obsession with the new kid, Jonathan Kane, is, of course, at the center of this book. And it's
1: so entertaining. Like it, it's, it's so entertaining. <laughs> so entertaining. So
0: I, I <laughs> we are we're clowning on this book quite a bit. I do think that there are t- there are a few things that were relatable and well done. The first is the sinking feeling that Jessica gets at the beginning of the book when she realizes that she has lost her grandmother's diamond earring, which really kicks off the action. Like I felt that in the pit of my stomach, that moment when you're like, ooh, like look at my fabulous diamonds that my grandmother gave me. And then one of them is missing. We have all been there. And I thought that that was like, it really was picture perfect. And it brought me right into the experience of like, oh shit, I lost something. How am I going to get it back? Yeah.
1: I mean, it brought me right back to the moment when I lost my ring in a gay bar at some point in the, in the mid... I never found it. No vampire brought it to me, so...
0: Well, maybe vampire's still coming.
1: Maybe. 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 But I didn't I didn't stumble upon a dead body mm. <laughs> while I was looking for my cluttering in a dumpster. So yeah, so she and Lila go out and look for her clottering and Ly- she's like making Lila totally <laughs> rash. and I had that moment where I was like watching it and I was like thinking oh it's sort of like that uh it's sort of like I've scene in Clueless where yeah. Cher is like this isn't a liar <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and Lila is just miserable yeah I mean fair yeah my like I'm not getting in a dumpster to find someone's diamond earring I'm like you got I hope it's insured
0: Correct. Well, and Jessica's logic about the whole situation is so funny in that she's like, I'm pretty sure it has to be in one of these bags because they're in the dumpster behind the like go-to fast food spot in town. And Jessica has identified that like, since the place just closed and they were there eating, it has to be one of the bags on top, which leads me to believe that Jessica is like a little rusty on the laws of gravity, because like things can fall down. I know it's, it's hard to believe, but like Your earring, if it fell in the trash, could theoretically be in any one of these bags. And she's like, no, like, let's just keep going. It's probably in one of these bags. But if it's not, like, we can just, like, keep looking. And it is gross. Like, Lila is very specifically identifying the nasty things that are in the trash bags. I really felt for her in that moment. As Mm -hmm. annoying as she was throughout this book with her boyfriend, Bo, I was like, I sort of feel like maybe she was just trying to get back at Jessica.
1: Yeah. I mean... I think it was, I, I think that was a very funny scene. Yeah. And it's like, it, it sort of aligns with a lot of like the teen entertainment back then that they find the dead body in the dumpster. Cause like, you yeah. know, like Sweet Valley, I, I don't believe that anyone's dropping bodies in in Sweet Valley, even a vampire. I feel like the vampire is dropping the body outside of Sweet Valley.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably true. Um, There are better places to dump a body than Sweet Valley, but we're led to believe here Mm -hmm. in Tall, Dark and Deadly that a dead body has been dumped in the very bottom of a dumpster. And of course she finds a kitten. Jasmine. And then she names the kitten Jasmine, as one does. And so now we're like, okay, danger. But this is where, because I hadn't read like the summary of the book or anything, I was like, maybe this guy is a serial killer. Sort of like your standard run of the mill serial killer. Mm -hmm. He killed this guy, put him in the dumpster. But we know that there's this creepy guy because he's sort of like hanging on the edges of the dumpster scene. I
1: feel like if the series had kept going, there would have been a serial killer trilogy. I think there is.
0: Okay, <laughs> of course there is. I'm sh- I think there, are, there, are, there either have already been serial killers in the series prior to book one twenty six, or there are more to come. There's probably several different serial killer arcs, subplots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I also think it's worth calling out here that like we have we have this introduction of this creepy guy at the beginning of the book who we later learn is Jonathan Kane, vampire. And sort of like from a craft perspective, putting on your writer hat, I don't know if you noticed this. You, you did, I, I would imagine. About two thirds of the way through the book, all of a sudden we're getting creepy guy Jonathan Kane's perspective. He becomes the narrator. Yes. So for the first chunk of the book, certainly at the beginning when we meet him near the dumpster, He's just like a specter on the outskirts of the book. Obviously, we get to know him better as Jessica's crush develops. But then all of a sudden, we're like in his head.
1: These books in general do a lot of head hopping, which is yeah. not something you're supposed to do in like romance novels. I feel like it's it's set up a little bit more like a thriller, except like a thriller will like de- delineate chapters. Right. With each, each like POV. So I feel like we have like a really fulsome idea of like what's going on in everyone's head at all times, mm-hmm. which as a writer is like probably harder to deal with because it like removes an avenue of conflict for you and like removes a way to add tension for readers. So I thought it was interesting, but I think it was necessary to like set up his, to sort of redeem him a little bit because like Jonathan Kane sucks. Yeah. Like he's mean to people. He pushes people out of the way in the hallway. I'm like, if you're like a hundred and something year old vampire, you
0: don't have to like go to high school. You could probably be a truant. Yeah, I, That's the that's the question that I have about Twilight as well. Like, of all things, why are they? Why do these vampires have to go to high school? If I, I mean, if
1: I were a vampire, high school is the last place that I would want to spend eternity at least go to college. Yeah. Easier like easier to find prey at college. Certainly, um, certainly, yeah. You know, no one's parents are checking in on them as yeah. much
0: and just, you know, better parties. For I, sure. I would imagine, yeah. Better so, food. Better so there's food. there's the head-bopping situation that we have, but Jonathan Kane is introduced and everybody once he shows up at school is obsessed with him. Of course, Jessica is obsessed with him. We know that from the first line of the book that I referred to earlier, like she's bored of all the dudes that she's grown up with. This new guy comes in. He is tall, dark, and handsome. And so she, of course, must have him. But it's not only Jessica. All of the girls at Sweet Valley are into him. Most interestingly, perhaps, Enid, who we typically don't see this way, it made me so sad. I know. Poor
1: sweet Enid. Like like, dyeing her hair black and straightening it. Like, getting her nails. And then she has to, like, go hang out with the Goths after that. Like, like even Elizabeth is like, what are you doing? And she's all caught up in her own drama. But, like, poor Enid. And she just, like, she's actually reduced to, like, having having, like, a meal with Jessica at one point.
0: Yeah, which is hilarious.
1: Which is hilarious. They hate each other. Yeah.
0: There's a moment after her makeover where it says, the girl looking back at her was nothing like the old Enid. My entire life is about to change. So why should my looks? She reasoned. Jonathan is worth it.
1: Oh, God. That's yeah oh, that, I know. It's like it's so it's so relatable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think most people have been there, especially early on in your life yeah. of having crushes. Like we've all had that kind of a crush. Although to fully change your appearance seems bold. She also starts failing her classes. Um, We get a lot of Enid in this book. Like I think this is probably more Enid than I've ever seen in one of the Sweet Valley books.
1: I think Enid might have clinical depression. Yeah. I think that's really what's going on with Enid. And it's just sort of manifesting
0: itself through this crush. Yeah. Well, she feels so sad that she's left out of, of Elizabeth's new friendship with Maria. My grandmother always says three is a very bad number. And in this case, Three is a very bad number. Enid is very much on the outs with these other two, especially because Elizabeth and Maria like do not understand everybody else's fascination with Jonathan. And so nobody is willing to like level with Enid. So yeah, Enid, like, but then Enid has a very quick turn away from Jonathan. Like she changes her whole appearance. She follows him to his house, which like a lot of people seem to do. There's a lot of stalking behavior in this book, which is concerning. But she very quickly changes her mind. After she goes to his house, she thinks to himself, maybe I really am going crazy, enough is enough. Even Jonathan isn't worth giving up my sanity. This silly crush business is over, she promised herself. Quick turn, like super quick turn.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is is like the adolescent crush. Like it can just like, it can die almost just immediately you know, like, as soon as, as soon as, like, the, the mysterious crush opens their mouth, like, it could just be, it can be extinguished, um, so that was also relatable, but yeah, I think also, because they're being written before, like, the ubiquity of cell phones, like, they talk about Lila, Lila Fowler's, like, car phone, which, of course, she has a car phone. Fancy. Very fancy. It was probably, like, enormous, like, like, a Saved by the Bell, size of her head sort of deal. But, like, I feel like before cell phones, and I was a teen before cell phones, we were really bored. And so we would do, like, we would literally, like, drive past our crush's house. So it doesn't, like, it seems crazy now because you can just check their Instagram or their Snapchat and see what they're up to. But you had to leave the house to find out what your crush was up to before cell phones. And I, I just realized I was so old. <laughs> it's like, back in my day.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I relate. So we had, I was a teenager in the age of like the very early cell phone. So like if you weren't really doing anything fun with your cell phone. And I remember that when I was in high school, like I sort of knew vaguely where we the boy that I was in love with lived. And I was one of the last people to get my driver's license in our class. I went to really big high school, but I just remember that I I just like wanted to be seen in my car by my crush. Like I really didn't know where he lived and I wasn't trying to like find his house. I just would sort of like drive my car in the general direction of the neighborhood where I knew he might be. And I was like, perhaps he will just see me like driving in this Jetta and he'll be like, wow, I've had this beautiful woman in front of me this whole time. How could I have not grabbed this opportunity? And it never happened. But now that you mention it, like that was a thing that we had to do. Yeah, I mean, this is a very Jessica
1: anecdote, but I was on the dance team in high school and we, um, before the homecoming game every year, would toilet paper the houses of yeah. all of the football players. And Familiar. So was,
0: yeah, all like, kind of like stalking and vandalism. <laughs> Yeah, I was a cheerleader for a few years in high school and we did the same thing. We were, but you, but the weird thing was like you would call the parents ahead of time. Like at least that's what we did. Like you're, and then the parents would be like, we were expecting you. It's so strange. Yeah. Like it was just sort of like, it was like
1: very controlled, planned mayhem.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I don't know that we called the parents. I think some of the parents were mad. Um, (laughs) But it was like sort of school sanctioned and like wink, wink, nod, nod. So it was fine. But it was like a very Jessica thing. Like, Jessica Wakefield thing to do. I mean, I don't know. It, it just, it makes sense if you were a teen during the era that this book was written. Because I think, like, the stock, like, other than, like, the sneaking into the high school to put the
0: canoe paddle in the <laughs> locker. Right. I have a lot of questions about that. So weird. How, yeah, I don't know how he got in without anybody asking him a question. Like, why do you, why are you carrying a canoe paddle into a high school that that you don't go to. You don't even go here.
1: Yeah. I mean, someone would at least have like this I mean, I went to high school like pre pre-much security at the right. door. Same. But yeah, there would have been a teacher who
0: was like, "Who are you?" Yeah, somebody would have asked because like just walking around with a canoe paddle is sort of dangerous. You could easily smack somebody and cause a problem. The super weird like stalker moment that I thought was maybe like the most concerning was when Jonathan just like knew where Jessica lived.
1: I mean, if you're a hundred years old and you don't really sleep, that's fair. Um, he's also been sort of like stalking her. Cause yeah. like you were, if you remember like the, the cats, the Jasmine, the kitten starts like freaking out. right? And she's like, why are you freaking out? Why are you freaking out? I'm like, your cat's freaking out. Cause there's a vampire outside your window, Jessica. <laughs> like, I know you're not good at school, but like really kind Keep of. He does. Yeah. Like you're good at boys. So you should understand. Like, and you know, she, like, Jessica had to have read the vampire diaries. Like, if she's
0: going to read anything, it was going to be the vampire diaries. So she should include in. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure in this universe of Sweet Valley that there was some like teen soap that she watched that had at one point featured a vampire storyline.
1: Of course. I mean, Jessica's mom for sure watched Dark Shadows yeah. when they reran it in the eighties. And so she should know that, like, I'm just surprised that no one ever posited in this book is Jonathan a vampire? <laughs> like It never came up. Never came up. Like Elizabeth, you would think she, like she's sharp. She should have put it together like much sooner than
0: yeah well Elizabeth does have a gut feeling from pretty much the beginning that that he's dangerous but she is not picking up on the vampire thing she's just like I have a bad feeling about this guy and she's right let's talk about some of Jessica's ridiculous antics yes so she really wants to get Jonathan's attention I think one of the funniest things about this whole setup is that like everybody is obsessed with Jonathan even though he has not interacted with anybody like yeah he the only person we actually see him talking to like we see him talking to Elizabeth very briefly when he's warning her to like keep Jessica away from him. And then at the end, he of course, like has this darkly romantic moment with Jessica that ends in a cliffhanger so that we can find out what happens in the next book. But like, we really don't know anything about him and yet everybody's obsessed. Jessica doesn't care. She's still, she must have him. She leaves school early a few days uh-huh. to like find out where his motorcycle, because obviously he rides a motorcycle is parked so that she can like move her car next to the motorcycle one of my favorite moments of the whole book and that's saying something because as i mentioned there are like no less than 80 little lol annotations in the margins of my book but there's one moment where she says i may as well take the afternoon off and go to class
1: <laughs> she's like i was like i love i love that for her like yeah <laughs> she views high school as like a social club like she's like i'm going to the country club for the day i might (laughs) play
0: tennis i go to class i might not i might just like follow this guy who's never spoken to me around in the parking lot and then the next day after elizabeth goes into school she's like i have to go get something in the car like i'll be right in and then she turns the headlights of their car on and leaves them on all day to drain the battery Mm -hmm. Possibly my second favorite moment is (laughs) she's waiting, waiting, waiting for Jonathan to come out. Because, of course, as a dude, he must be prepared to save her and fix her battery. Yes. Of course he can, like, jump her with his, like, I
1: don't think you can jump a motor or a battery with with a Harley. I don't think that's possible.
0: I don't think so. I'm not the one to ask. Somebody let us know, perhaps, in the comments. But every single other guy offers to help her. And she's like, no thanks. Like, I've got it. I've got it. Like, keep walking. She sits there for who knows how long. And then when Jonathan does come, he completely blows her off. Completely ignores her. And then Maria has to, like, jump
1: the <laughs> jump the battery. <sighs> and Elizabeth, like, completely exasperated. It really is peak Jessica. It is. I mean, it was, like, peak Jessica, though, was when she and Lila go to the store to find her, find her like a hot little dress, so she can seduce Jonathan. Yes, and then she sees his motorcycle on the out uh, outside the store, jumps on the back of it, so she can take a ride, even though she's forbidden to get on a motorcycle. Which I can identify with. I I was also forbidden to go on a motorcycle, which probably explains my penchant for motorcycle club romances. Because, you know, Elizabeth had almost been killed on Todd's motorcycle. And I can't picture Todd having a motorcycle. This is like, this is where like my hype, like I was like, I was like that, like the meme with all of the, the figures yeah. like, behind the guy. And I'm like, I, it does not compute. Like Todd motorcycle. I don't get it. Anyway. Todd is a
0: complicated man.
1: Complicated. <laughs> Half-formed and complicated. But yeah. And then he was like, never do that again. Stay away from me. And I was like, that is hot. I, I
0: totally get it, Jessica. You're like, give me more. And then he's like, let me drop you off at the house that I know. Like, I know where it is. You've never told me. Let me just take you home. And you're still like, I don't care. Come back anytime.
1: Exactly. No, I was like, I, this is, this is where a lot of things went wrong with me. Is because, because I was like, yeah, no, I totally get it, Jessica. Like, it's the one man in school that you can't have. So you must.
0: Yeah. I mean, I will say like, it was so over the top, of course. But I did sort of appreciate the fact that, like, in this book, whoever ghost whoever the ghostwriter was sort of like subverted the the dynamic that we're used to seeing, which is like the dude that like can't take no for an answer. And like we should not be celebrating anyone who can't take yes. no for an answer. That's yes. obviously not a good thing. I'm not here for it. I'm not promoting it. But I will say that in like the 80s and 90s, we didn't yet know really, or at least we weren't talking about the fact that like, that's not the way to start a relationship and at least in like 99% of the the narratives that i was exposed to when i was a teenager like the character that won't take no for an answer is a cis hetero man who is pursuing a woman and so that of course like messed with my head in all kinds of ways that i'm unpacking as an adult but in this book like we do have Jessica taking control, like as much as she is trying to be a damsel in distress for a minute when she needs her car dumped, like she's not waiting around for him. Like he is not interested in her and she she needs to take no for an answer, but at least this is something different.
1: True. I mean, yeah, cause the, the whole like, it's like the Screech and Lisa dynamic that was like really like, I feel like my whole like childhood was like, there was always like the Screech and Lisa. And I feel like that even, like, bled over into, like, real life where I had, like, like a couple – like, I had a, a one or two experiences where, like, I was not interested in a guy and he was like, oh, that just means I need to try harder. Right. And so, yeah, it's nice to see it reversed. But I also think, like, other than jumping on the motorcycle, she's not doing anything that's, like, invading his space. Like, she's not going to his house like Aina
0: did. Correct. And she's not, like – She's not initiating any physical contact that feels non-consensual. Yeah. so she, and, is, yeah. she
1: is sending him notes
0: in, in French class. And he's like. That he crumples up. Remember when he just like crumples up one of the notes?
1: But I mean, not like speaks to some sort of like he like he speaks to some sort of passion. So I kind of understand why she would like be like, oh, this is intriguing. Because any guy at that school would be like, oh, Jessica Wakefield sent me a note. Like, I'm going to go start shopping for rings. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. Well, there is a little bit of passion at the end because, of course, we have to set up for the second book in the trilogy, which, Andy, you betrayed uh, before we started recording. You have already downloaded and you have queued up and ready to go. So um, I'm not going to spoil it for you, despite the fact that I read a summary. Please spoil it for me. Please spoil it for me. Yes. Okay. Well, first, let me – I'm going to read the last line of the book, and then I will spoil it for you and for the listeners. So Jessica does find her way to Jonathan's house, which is, of course, like a creepy, dark, crumbling mansion. He shows up with um, a glass goblet of wine, you know, classic (laughs) high school vampire. They kiss. And the last line of the book is, you shouldn't have come here, Jessica Wakefield. It may have been the biggest mistake of your life. Dramatic. So then book 127 which is book two of this little trilogy, is called Dance of Death. Jessica and the rest of the girls continue chasing after Jonathan. Uh, She shares another passionate kiss with him. But the next day, she learns that Enid spent the rest of the evening with him and that she has a hickey on her neck. Mm. I know. Then Joey Mason moves to Sweet Valley. So he's no longer just at UCLA. He's now in town. Liz is still confused uh, and torn between Todd and Joey. Jonathan throws a party at his mansion, and then the party ends with somebody dead. I don't know who that person is. And then book 128, the third book in the mini trilogy, is called Kiss of a Killer. Jonathan nearly kills Enid after losing control, and she is in the hospital unconscious. Liz breaks into Jonathan's house to search for clues, and then she finds some books about vampires and concludes that he is, in fact, a vampire.
1: I mean... That, that seems to fit, like if, yeah, and then I feel like to, I really believe that Stephanie Meyer must have like read this at some point, and then like it just part of, parts of it are just very like the, the trope of the vampire that goes to high school was
0: seated in this like three book arc. So it's really a straight line from this book to Fifty Shades of Gray. Yes.
1: I, I tr- like i I came away from reading the first book, truly believing that. It's like because, like Christian Gray is always telling Anastasia, like you ha- you should stay away from me. I'm bad for you. I'm bad for you. Yeah, I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous. And I can I probably could have read that trope in a lot of like y a, but this was like such a clear example of it. I was like, oh, so the DNA of this kind of I'm bad for you, stay away is is all over YA
0: from back in the day. It lives on. Mm-hmm. So on the whole, Andy, what was the experience of coming back to Sweet Valley High like for you? Did it meet your expectations? How does it compare to the memories that you have of reading these books when you were a teenager? Obviously, this is a particularly wacky installment, but I'm still kind of curious just how, how it held up.
1: I actually... So... Aside from like the problematic, like you know, lack of diversity and sort of you know, sort of flatness and like privilege of these teens, I actually think it was like a really enjoyable experience to go back. And I and I was so admiring of these writers' capa- like capability of like telling such a complete story with so few words and like the skill. Of, I I feel like these writers are really skilled, and like I don't know that I appreciated that as a teen. And yeah, it was it was sort of fun to like escape back into that like fictional world that was so much simpler in a lot of ways. Like it was worse in some ways, but like just the simplicity of like teenage drama was like fun to revisit.
0: Yes, I would agree with all of that. Other than Tall, Dark and Deadly, Andy, what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners?
1: Um, So I have been reading some great books lately by some great friends. And so American Royalty by Tracy Livesey comes out at the end of June. And it is about an American rapper sort of loosely based on Cardi B and a prince of England falling in love. Tracy writes an amazing story. like She grabs you. From the first page and like just drags you through. Um, I could also recommend Dating Dr. Dill by Nisha Sharma. Um, it is sort of a reimagining of Taming of the Shrew. Super sexy, super fun. Like, love, love, love it. Um, I'm trying to think of like other things that are like really sticking out. Like I said, I'm on deadline, so I'm not reading as much. But I would also say the Stand-In by Lily Shu is amazing. I actually read that last year, but it just came out in paperback quite recently. Um, it is about a a woman who is who is a doppelganger for a celebrity who ends up standing in for the celebrity while she's going through some life issues and falling in love with her like co-star slash like public facing boyfriend so it is it's really fun it's really cool there's a lot of like family secrets it is a very cool story also like I'm obsessed with the lipstick that she that she the signature lipstick in the story I'm really into like I collect like makeup so it was uh that was fun to read in a book so
0: those are all great recommendations. I read Dating Dr. Dill, so spicy, so steamy. We actually have Nisha Sharma coming on the show in a couple of months, oh, which good. is exciting. Yay. Yeah, I'm really excited to have her. Um, I haven't read the other two, but I'm going to add them to my list. And listeners, I will make sure that you have links to check them out on bookshop.org in the show notes. Andy, I want to hear about your new book too. Your new book is called Thank You, Next. What can you tell us about it? Um, so
1: Thank You, Next is basically, it's a second chance romance. That starts when the heroine, who is a single divorce attorney who never intends to get married because she's seen what like families breaking up can do um, to her clients and both in her own life, sees her most recent ex boyfriend as the fiance and says yes to the dress after he said he would never, ever, ever get married, um, which is loosely based on a true anecdote from my own life from like 12 years ago that I okay. finally put into a book. And so she realizes that she is the last ex-girlfriend of pretty much all of her exes. And so she and um, her friends go on a sort of romp through the, city, through the city of LA, approaching her ex-boyfriends and asking them about like what they think went wrong. And um, they are oft accompanied by her her ex-step-uncle. So her grandmother's really a while, she has been married like a ton of times. And one of her steps, former stepsons, is Alex's childhood crush, and he um, is recently divorced. And he realizes he's completely in love with Alex, and so um, he's like, "I'm going to join you on this trip because I don't, I don't think this is safe." Like, you know, you talking to all your ex boyfriends which he's probably right about. She kind of has a mouth on her and so she could get into trouble. <laughs> 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 and so, yeah, so it's a sexy fun romance. He's a sexy chef. And, you know, it is, it's it's really a fun romp and also a tribute to like, my grandmother's a jazz singer and I wanted to write like a, a jazz singer who had like a wild past and as the grandmother in this book. And so I think it's, it's gonna, hopefully it's gonna make you laugh. Um, it might make you hungry. And... <laughs> yeah, hopefully you'll just want to hang out with these people, which is like, yeah.
0: That sounds great and perfect for summer. Um, Thank yes. you so much for sharing about it. Congratulations on having thank it you. out in the world. Listeners, I will also make sure that you know how to find Thank You Next and grab a copy wherever books are sold. yet it has been so fun having you on the show. Thank you so much for, I mean, talk about a romp. Thank you for walking <laughs> through this romp with me. What a ride. I know. Exactly.
1: What a ride. I was... So pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this book Um, and I really enjoyed talking to you today about it.
0: Yes, I agree. Thanks. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast.